five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kitty Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Warwickshire, England is Queen of Dialysis, Maddie Warren. Maddie has been on home dialysis for 22 years. She is a businesswoman, consultancy director, passionate kidney advocate, peer supporter, formation skydiver and fitness enthusiast. She loves adventures and was the very first woman on dialysis to complete the London Marathon in 2018. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Maddie? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm really excited about this interview. I've been looking forward to interviewing the Queen of Dialysis. (laughs) 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 Self-appointed. But very, very well deserved, definitely. For the listeners out there, the first time I met Maddie was through the Kidney Fit Club. Maddie and I were doing videos for... Kidney Care UK, which is on the the YouTube channel. So do check that out. And um, I just remember being amazed that Maddie was doing all this, you know, marathons and all this, you know, TED Talks and all these amazing things and just thinking, wow, someone on dialysis, that's just getting on with it, getting out there, really, really active. So I was just (laughs) so impressed by you and um, have wanted to interview you for some time. So I've been looking forward to today. So that's be great. Thank you for having me. Right. So my first question is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Uh, so we're going a long way back. Um, so I was perfectly healthy, fit, no no health problems at all. Um, and then shortly after my 13th birthday, which was in 1997 I suddenly started developing some weird symptoms being very tired um I had puffy eyes puffy ankles just out you know suddenly from nowhere and um as as a lot of us I think know with kidney disease you know it can kind of have random symptoms that don't mean very much but can be quite serious and luckily because I probably would have just dismissed that and not paid much attention to it especially as a teenager when you you know you're not focused on your health in any way but my dad who is actually a doctor felt that those symptoms were very odd, especially the fatigue, because I was a very energetic, very active person. And um, I went and had a blood test done with my GP and it showed some very, very disrupted levels in my blood, particularly around my protein levels um, and indicated essentially that something was going on with my kidneys. And the benefit, I guess, of being a child, although you wouldn't really wish it on a child, is that paediatrics and um, anything dealing with children moves quite fast. So I was referred immediately the same day to the paediatric um, kidney unit at Guy's Hospital in South London, which is where I was living. And within days, I'd had a biopsy, I'd had loads of tests done, 
and I was um, diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, which is called focal segmental glomerulosclerosis, or FSGS for short. Okay. <laughs> it's a good one to try and spell. Um, also known as people may know it as nephrotic syndrome. Um, and essentially, just to simplify it, um, my immune system had started to actually attack my own kidneys. So it was an autoimmune condition and causing inflammation and damage to the kidneys such that they started leaking out a lot of really important stuff that they really should be retaining in my blood um, and particularly protein. So my urine was full of protein um, and the loss of that protein was causing all sorts of difficult symptoms in my body, um, including things like swelling and fluid retention. And this story could go on forever and I will keep I'll cut the long story as short as I can. Essentially, sadly, I had a very, very aggressive form of FSGS. So typically, um, they try to treat it with high dose steroids or immunosuppression, similar to transplant medication, um, sometimes chemotherapy as well, things like that. And um, they tried all of that with me over the course of 18 months, and it didn't respond to anything at all. Um, I was really desperately ill for a lot of that time. Um, the, the treatments themselves come with a huge number of difficult side effects as well, particularly things like chemo. Um, so I lost my hair, which as a 14 year old girl is not not cool. Oh, wow. um, and also started developing increasingly dangerous side effects and complications from my issues with my function and with the conditions. So, you know, crazy blood pressure issues. Um, my bowel collapsed because of all the re- retained fluid that was there. I caught shingles multiple times. I, it was chaos. It was chaos. So I had a sort of standing start of being completely fine to 18 months of being desperately ill um, under the wonderful, amazing care of, of the pediatric team at Guys who did everything they could. I could not have been under better better care. Um, but sadly, you know, it wasn't ever going to respond to treatment. And by the October 1998, so the following year, um, it, my function had declined enough. My kidneys were working, but very sketchily, leaking way too much protein. I was bouncing in and out of hospital that was only going in one direction. So we actually decided proactively to remove them so I could start dialysis because with that condition, when it's that bad, the only way you can actually stop some of the symptoms and things is to take the kidneys out. And they were they were done for anyway. So there was no point in really having them. Um, and so wow. I had this very traumatic onset. Um, but then for me, that meant dialysis was a huge relief and something that I ended up almost looking forward to because I saw it as being the fix for the awful situation that I'd been in. And I, all I wanted to do was go back to school, go back out to seeing my friends, back to playing sport, doing music, all the things that I loved as a teenager that I had completely missed out on for that whole entire time of being ill. And um, I'd already made the choice to do peritoneal dialysis um, at home overnight as um, that was kind of going to be well suited. I learned how to do it all myself. I was completely in control of my treatment. I intentionally didn't let my parents be trained on the machine at all because I wanted to be in full control um, (laughs) because I didn't ever want to be lazy and fall back on asking for help, which I don't know what kind of logic that was, but it's actually stood me quite well. Um, And and so after an initial time of adapting and recovering, when they actually took my kidneys out, um, they then dialyzed 15 kilos of fluid off me. Uh, which I've been carrying around for months and I'm quite small anyway. So underneath I weighed about 35 kilograms. So that wasn't great. I had a lot of eating and a lot of rehab and rebuilding to do. And actually that's probably where I first learned that your physical fitness and really that physical side of your body is so critical when you're managing kidney disease. And I know you know that, Um, you know that absolutely. And and I I had to rebuild um, my strength, my, you know, to put on weight. I had to just get my whole body back to how it had been before this all started. So I spent a few months doing hemodialysis in centre until I was stable enough to do PD. And then I went off and did PD. And I would say literally the next five years on PD were phenomenal. 
I was back at school. I did my GCSEs. I did my A-levels. I won my place at university. I was out and about everywhere, traveling, taking my machine all over the place. Um, Absolute normality as far as I'm concerned, Um, because I did PD overnight. And the logic for me is why spend your daytime hours stylizing? Like you've got other things to be doing. So I did PD overnight um, and I, you know, I was doing eight hours every single night of the week, which sounds a lot, but you do get into a routine of it. And as a teenager, I think you're quite adaptable as well. Your young people are quite good at just getting on with it. Um, and, you know, I was still living at home and things, which which meant I had a great support network around me. And my friends just embraced it. I, I was really lucky because I had all the right ingredients to have a really positive first dialysis experience. Um, and then again, skipping through quite a lot of, I mean, there's been some mad complications <laughs> along the way, but overall it's, it's pretty positive. Um, I did have a transplant attempt from my dad in 2003, um, where he, when I finished school, I took a gap year intentionally before I took my place up at university to have my transplant, which obviously we'd hoped would be fine and that would be it. And I'd be transplanted and off I'd go. Sadly, FSGS, particularly the very aggressive form of it that I have, recurred instantly in the transplant. The kidney never worked. um, And I was plunged back into a very similar high risk situation, being incredibly sick, um, not responding to any of the treatment that they tried. Um, And I also the the newer the newer treatments, um, one of which is plasma exchange, which wasn't actually around the first time I had FSGS. I mean, when it first um, when I was first diagnosed, we tried that as well. And that was a very early stage treatment at the moment. Plasma exchange hadn't been very widely used yet. And I did have some very serious complications as a result of it. Although I also do always say to people not to be put off by that, because actually plasma exchange now is a very, very good, effective treatment that a lot of people have for things like antibody sensitization. So don't be scared off by that. But it just happened that my particular combination of circumstances made it quite risky. And um, I nearly bled to death a couple of times. So we thought, okay, enough is enough. Um, And took the the donated kidney out and I switched to hemodialysis. And I'm not having another transplant because that's a bad road for me to go down. So I've been on hemodialysis now 16 years at home. So 22 years in total of dialyzing. And primarily I've I've done my hemodialysis overnight, so nocturnal. So I do my dialysis six or seven hours overnight, around five nights a week at home. And um, I have just had the most phenomenal experience of it, um, which we can talk about at length. But that's essentially how I got here. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that is just... I'm speechless. You have been through so much. One of the many things that I really admire about you is how positive you are. You're so positive and upbeat. and to hear that you've been through so much, but yet you have this, I mean, even now you've got this big smile on your face. It's admirable and it's commendable because, wow, I'm honestly, I'm completely taken aback with that story. Like you've been through so much and yet you've gone on to do so much. So let's talk about that. So anybody listening, you have definitely earned the title Queen of Dialysis. Like, wow. (laughs) Ah, uh, well, I try. I muddled through mostly. But <laughs> it was a fu- it was a joke at the time when I renamed my Twitter account and then my Instagram Queen of Dialysis years ago. Kind of tongue in cheek, I have to say. <laughs> and then it just sort of stuck. And now I can't ever change it because that's what everybody now knows me. <laughs> as I said, well deserved. <laughs> so as a teenager, having to overcome so many things and and make so many changes you know going through your GCSEs you know studying traveling all the different things 
that you were able to do at that time, it definitely was the foundation, certainly, of what I see you doing now. So you've spoken about hemodialysis and, and how it's benefited you and doing dialysis at home. So let's delve into that and talk about what difference it's made for you in terms of the benefits, what are the advantages. Let's talk about home hemo. So I yeah, I am the biggest advocate for home dialysis ever. Anyone who does follow me online will probably have picked that up. And like I mentioned previously, my actually I started doing PD, but naturally PD is done at home. So everybody who's doing PD will be dialysing at home. But what I would say is that that got me in the mindset from the very start that you just do your dialysis at home. So one of my biggest, and I have a lot of frustrations, but also there's a huge amount of opportunity in the UK, certainly, but globally even more so to help more patients access home dialysis. It's still relatively small proportion of people who do it. Um, And one of the things that slightly frustrates me is that when somebody becomes a kidney patient, and, you know, oftentimes whether you have a gradual decline into kidney failure or you crash land into it in a big emergency, none of us come from being person in the street with knowledge about dialysis. We come into that world as a patient and then we learn and we learn from the healthcare professionals, we learn from our peers, patients, we learn from the internet, we read books, however we choose to learn. And what interests me is why do we immediately make people believe that they come in and dialysis is something that has to be delivered in the hospital? Because if you take a patient with no knowledge at all and you were to say to them, look, we're going to get you in control here. We're going to get you independent and running your care and owning it to the greatest extent that you can, both clinically and if you want to, because it has to be about choice always. Um, Many, many patients, I think, would embrace that and think in the same way that with diabetes, somebody becomes diabetic. We teach them how to manage their insulin and their diet and do carb count and all the things they have to do. And then off they go out into the world and they try and, you know, run their life and run their health condition alongside their life. Um, And I personally see that dialysis should be presented in the same way. So we really ought to offer it to everyone and then work backwards from that to those who either don't want to do it or can't do it or not clinically suitable. Whereas at the moment we bring people in and we tend to put them all on dialysis in a clinic. Um, If it's hemodialysis, let's talk about that primarily because PD obviously is done at home anyway. Um, And then we, we really get them. We almost teach people to rely on the clinical support and the nurses to do everything for them. And that can be really quite institutionalizing. And then it becomes much harder when someone's got used to that for a few months or however long to say, actually, now, how about you taking on this responsibility and taking ownership of your treatment and going home with it? So um, there is a whole bunch of people for whom I think if it was presented differently up front, they would have a very different perspective on home hemodialysis, whereas unfortunately, a lot of people see it as being something that could be quite scary, quite a big burden. Um, They're not maybe capable enough to take it on, even though, again, it isn't really as complicated as it might look as well so um one of my biggest kind of messages i guess is that we all need to sort of see it as home home is probably uh right for far more people than currently do it and that should be presented as their option first and then looking at clinic or um, doing self-care kind of secondary to that and working backwards to the model where they are fully being cared for in a clinic but right now we know that 95 percent of hemodialysis patients in the uk are dialysing in hospitals and clinics and only 5% of us are dialysing at home. So there's a lot of work to be done. But for me, in terms of those benefits, hand on heart, I would have to be pretty much at death's door before I ever dialyse in a hospital. That's how extreme my view is. The only exception to that is the occasional checkup where I might go in and, you know, might looking at my fistula or something and need to be in the clinic to do a one-off session. That's fine. Or when I go away on holiday or travel, 
in the UK and abroad, where obviously I then go and have dialysis in a clinic wherever I happen to be going. But by dialyzing at home, I've minimized dialysis to being so far down my list of priorities. It doesn't control my life in any way. It doesn't dictate my life. It doesn't interfere in my decisions about um, what I want to be doing any given day or any given week, because I am absolutely in control. I dialyze when I want for as long as I want, as many times a week as I want, because I know that um, I'm doing far, far more than the minimum dialysis that you need to do to keep reasonably okay, which is the four hours, three times a week, which is what most people do in hospital. For me, that's far too little dialysis. So when you say you see me doing all the fitness and exercise and bouncing around feeling really energized, it's because I feel really energized and I feel great because I am doing 35 hours plus of dialysis a week. And that gets me a lot closer to someone with functioning kidneys who, you know, kidneys work 24 seven dialysis in a hospital is three sessions a week with some very long gaps in between. And the four hours that you are on the machine is aggressive. It's stripping out all the fluid and all the toxins very rapidly. And then you have, you know, one and a half to two and a half day gap where your body's just filling up with toxins and fluid again. And then you go back on the machine and it's this, this yo-yo of up and down and peaks and troughs of removal of all that sort of nastiness. Whereas I dialyze at least five nights a week for six or seven hours. So not only have I got rid of all the long gaps, but I'm also removing the fluid and the toxins much slower whilst I sleep. Um, so I have the double benefit of no dialysis side effects or symptoms of that treatment. Um, and also doesn't get in the way of my day. And I can change the nights that I do. I can do eight hours one night and five hours the next night. I can skip nights to go away. And I don't have to ask anyone. I don't have to go and check in with the hospital to change my schedule. I don't have, I just live my life. So that's kind of the, the hugest benefit. But those health benefits too, then mean that I, you know, I fitness train all the time. I, I did run the London Marathon two years ago. And to do that, I couldn't have done that on a normal dialysis regime. No way. So my, my nocturnal home regime allows that level of fitness and, and ability to train that hard. Um, not only that, though, I work full time. I work really long hours. I run a consultancy business. I work with lots of different clients. I um, work across the kidney community and volunteer across the kidney community in all sorts of stuff. So I will readily be doing 60, 70 hours a week of work and or volunteering or both and my dialysis and have a social life and eat and drink whatever I want because I'm dialyzing so much I have no fluid restriction and no diet restriction um and I honestly on that basis can't really I mean for me it's like well why wouldn't you try doing that if you can um and and I just think some of the barriers that people face or people think in their mind might be barriers or are perhaps incorrectly told by clinical staff or people at the hospital that are barriers and actually they're not um that gets in the way so much of, of giving people access to the freedom and the independence and the control that home dialysis can offer that really makes sense when you said that if you're dialyzing three times a week then they're squashing in a lot mm. of treatment in a shorter space of time whereas if you're dialyzing more often then obviously that's gentle on the body and yeah, that's something I hadn't really considered or looked at before. And yeah, I mean, 5% is, I mean, that's quite low. <laughs> it's isn't tiny. It? That's like, yeah. Considering, you know, the technology and I'm really surprised. Well, hopefully by having this conversation, we might spark more conversations and, mm -hmm. and put a dent in that number. What I would say actually is also um, to people listening to this who, you know, maybe didn't know this was an option or haven't been 
actively offered it as an option is don't wait to be asked. Go back to your renal unit and ask for it. And if they push back, um, unless there's a very valid clinical reason why you're just not well enough to dialyze at home, which, you know, it can happen. Um, there are other obstacles often raised, which are not obstacles. So one of the commonest things that I hear is patients are told you have to have a second bedroom or a whole spare room in your house. You have to have all this dedicated space. You really do not. I've had home dialysis set up in five different homes over the years. Um, and I've always been in really small places. I, I'm currently in a tiny one bedroom annex. And I've got my machine here and all my consumables. I've had it in um, a flat in the roof of a Victorian house, which had weird ceiling and terrible plumbing. And we made that work. Um, I've had it in an apartment in London. I've had it in my parents' conservatory. Um, So many people are told you need all this space. And who has a spare room these days? You know, who has loads of empty space in their house? And, And it really frustrates me that we're using a sort of wealth or social thing of you know in terms of if you're wealthy enough to have a big house you can have home dialysis but if you haven't got the money to upsize your house sorry you can't have home dialysis that to me is really bad and needs to stop um and it's a lot about perception and it's a lot about local hospitals make their own policy around home dialysis and what it takes to do an installation and that sort of thing the end point answer is you don't need a spare room and you don't need a second room so where people are being told that I really encourage them to go back and push back and say, no, I'm going to put it in my existing bedroom. This is the space I want to use. I'm going to store my equipment here, here and here. Don't tell me, don't tell me what to do with my house. Um, because if the plumbing is there and suitable, which most, you know, most modern houses is totally fine. The space should not be the thing that stops people. Um, and if your unit aren't offering home dialysis routinely, go and ask for it and push back and keep asking. Um, and you know be as pushy as you need to be because everyone's busy and stuff happens in renal units and suddenly years gone by and you know you haven't had a conversation so that's helped me a lot in terms of if I want something I need to be a real partner in my care and I need to go and talk to the team and completely relentlessly pursue what I want um, and try and get them on board with that obviously (laughs) Um, so that's what yes I would absolutely say if people haven't heard of this we need to get more people accessing it. So I always like to get a balance with things. So we've talked about the advantages and benefits of HEMO at home, but what are the downsides of HEMO at home? (laughs) So, I mean, because it's so positive for me, I would say very few, clearly that that there are a few, (laughs) mostly just inconveniences. So um, interestingly, some of the stuff that people think are the downsides, I have never, ever come across. So in terms of safety, Um, and worrying about things going wrong with the machine or with needles and you know that sort of thing I'm the most competent person who could possibly do my dialysis so I know that I'm safe I know how to do everything with that machine I know every little quirk and strange thing the machine might do over the years you just learn how to problem solve Um, you do have support so you're not just on your own Um, you know you can call the hospital there's a renal technical team who can come out if your machine breaks down and do fixes and stuff so worst case really is if stuff goes wrong when you're dialyzing at home you just end your session and come off the machine and then you make your phone calls and you know someone will come and repair it or they can give you some advice to make sure it doesn't happen again so that fear that people think is a big deal it really isn't and the newer the newer machines and devices that are becoming available now are even better because you know they're connected through the internet maybe sending data back to the hospital or they're much simpler to use and easier to troubleshoot in any case so um that those kind of complications and challenges are probably even less now than they would have been in the past um the biggest real thing for me is just i've been dialyzing myself at home for 22 years and sometimes i just can't be bothered <laughs> So especially because I dialyze at night. 
So, you know, at the end of my day, when I finished work, I've been out with my friends, I've been to the gym, had dinner, whatever, is it doesn't matter how late it is or how tired I am from the working day, I have to still set that machine up and put my needles in and go, you know, before I can go to sleep. Um, and I have it down to a fine art. So I can set my machine up, have it lined and primed and done in about nine minutes, which is pretty oh, good. Wow, okay. And then I can put my needles in in about five minutes. So I have that condensed down if I'm really on it. What tends to happen is I drift around my house and I start setting it up and then I get distracted and then I decide to put a wash on or take it out of the machine or somebody phones me and say so it'll take, you know, I'll be doing it 45 minutes later instead of just getting on with it. But that's, I'm very casual about this. I have reached the point where it's just, it's like brushing my teeth at the end of the day. It really is not a big deal, but I often can't be bothered to do it. So my biggest thing at the moment is putting it off and then it's about two in the morning and I haven't set my machine up yet to go on it. So I'm, I do very well because I can survive on very little sleep and not everybody can, but um, I would say that. And then because I do dialysis not overnight, um, there are lots of nights where the machine behaves perfectly and I'll sleep all the way through without a problem. But if the machine decides to alarm at night or you know, whatever, then it can disturb my sleep. But frankly, however much my sleep is disturbed, I'm still going to feel so much better and more energy than if I was doing my the three times a week regime that it doesn't, the trade-off for me is well worth it. Um, and then it's just things like crushing all the cardboard boxes that all my stock comes in. I, I mean, I hate all the disposable, like all the plastic and all the cardboard that I'm constantly chucking out. I feel bad for the environment. Um, and if I could have a house elf to do all of that bit for me, that would be perfect. But I, I mean, if <laughs> there are very few downsides in my personal opinion. Certainly when you look at the downsides, for me, again, in my opinion, compared to doing dialysis in hospital, really the only benefit for me in hospital is someone else does the setting up, which you know I just can't be bothered with. But <laughs> I wouldn't let a nurse go near my fistula anymore. I certainly would never let anyone else needle me. I wouldn't let anyone else decide my prescription. I wouldn't let anyone else decide how much fluid I'm taking off. Um, after so many years, I am as well informed as the most experienced dialysis nurse, to be honest. And that, no offence to them, they're brilliant. But I have learned so much through what I do. And it's all very instinctive now. I don't really think about it anymore. Um, and I know everything that my body's telling me. I can read the signs of what's going on. You know, if I've dropped my dry weight a bit low, my blood pressure is going to drop. I know it's going to happen before it happens. And I can adjust my UF rate, you know, things like that become just second nature um and I think you do have to learn when you have kidney disease and I know you're again you're very into this is trust trust your instincts and listen to your own body um because it's going to tell you more than any medical professional can ever tell you I guess you mentioned UF rate could you explain what oh sorry yes so um so when obviously when you're on dialysis your kidneys normally would filter your blood all day long and remove extra water from your body that you don't need um, and therefore, when your kidneys are stopped working, you need the dialysis machine to do that instead. And uh, the dialyzer, which is the the kind of um, it's like an oblong shaped um, thing that you fit to the machine for every session. It's like a disposable. And that is your artificial kidney, essentially. So the removal of fluid and toxins from your blood when you do hemodialysis happens in that dialyzer. Um, and you base your fluid how much fluid you want to remove depends on how much fluid you've accumulated since you last did dialysis. And that's based on your dry weight. So we all have a, a dry weight where that's kind of the weight your body would be if you knew you weren't carrying any extra fluid. And then anything over that dry weight when you weigh yourself is likely to be fluid that you've gained. So you need to remove that. So say you need to remove two litres 
um, and you're doing your dialysis for six hours, you would program those two liters into the machine. And then over the six hours, it would remove it slowly and steadily. And there's, so the, the ultrafiltration rate is the speed at which it is ultrafiltrating or removing fluid from the blood. And one of the things that people don't always realize is when you do your dialysis over a shorter period of time, like four hours, which is typically what people do in hospital, um, and you've gained two liters or three liters of fluid, you're removing a lot more per hour than you would be if you'd only gained one liter or if you increase your time. So what you want to try and aim to do is keep that removal rate as low as possible, because the higher that rate goes, the more you're going to have symptoms of feeling drained, exhausted, your blood pressure is going to drop. A lot of what people kind of term the typical dialysis side effects and and the dialysis hangover after you've finished your treatment is because people are removing that fluid too quick and their body can't really tolerate it as well. Whereas if I'm doing six, seven hours a session, I remove it much slower and I don't get those symptoms and side effects. So this is all stuff that just you kind of learn over time, I guess. But when people say dialysis just wipes them out and they're always tired, that's the first question I ask them is how quickly, how much fluid are you typically removing over how long? Because if that rate is too fast, you're going to feel crap, to be honest. So, um, and that, and then the second question is, is your hemoglobin and iron level reasonable? Because that's the other big cause of people feeling really tired. But yeah, I struggle to really highlight too many downsides, to be honest. No, it's uh, it's good to, to get, you know, both sides of, of the story and, and look at the, the fuller picture. Now, you mentioned when you were speaking that you wouldn't allow a nurse to <laughs> to touch your fistula. <laughs> Could you explain the, the reason behind that? Yeah, so, um, and by the way, I'm not saying anything against nurses because clearly they're amazing and they do a wonderful job. And when you have it, when you're new to this, you need, you need the nurses to of do course. things for you. It's very important. Um, but particularly with, so so for anyone who doesn't know, the fistula is when you're on hemodialysis, um, you obviously need good access to your blood supply um, to, to get the blood out of your body and put it through the machine. And typically that's through a fistula where they join um, a vein in your arm. It might be in your forearm or your upper arm, depending how good your veins are. Um, they join that to an artery in your arm. And essentially the arterial blood flow starts to then root, be rooted through that vein, um, which it then grows and becomes a really powerful um, sort of strong blood vessel, but much closer to the surface because it's a vein, which means you can then put your dialysis needles in there and repeatedly needle yourself multiple times a week and also then run your blood pump on the machine fast enough to make sure you get lots of blood through during your dialysis session. Um, So a fistula would get created through, it's a small surgical procedure. I, I don't think it I had mine done under local anaesthetic, which is fine. Um, not everybody loves the idea of that, but honestly, it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, I didn't know then, that was actually possible. I thought yeah, it was always I, in general. I watched them do it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have to acknowledge that as someone who has grown up with this since a teenager, I am so comfortable with so many bizarre things that other people are like, what are you talking about watching that? And if you speak to any of the other people who've had kidney disease since a young age, you'll find we're all really weird. Like we're quite into all the gory stuff and we're not really bothered with things, you know, watching surgery or talking about some really weird things. So apologies to anyone who thinks that's completely mad. But um, and then once your fistula usually takes a a kind of couple of months after the surgery to mature enough to start using it and it, it grows essentially. And then you've obviously got to put your dialysis needles into your arm, into the correct place in that vessel every time you do dialysis now um 
uh, what well, first thing I say is again, people get very worried about needling, and actually, a fistula is designed to be needled essentially. And if you ever see it on a ultrasound scan, um, which most people will have had their fistula scanned, I love seeing it because the scan does like a cross section of the blood vessel, and it's like a mass. It's like a tunnel. I, I imagine it like it's this really big vessel, and if the needle was like the train going through the tunnel. It's actually, it should be quite hard to miss it with the needle because it's so big and it's so strong and it's there. But the best person to feel what's going on in your arm when you're putting that needle in is you. A nurse can guess, all the, and some of them are very skilled, but essentially they are feeling their way and trying to look from the outside, where does that vessel go in the arm, what direction, what depth, and then they're sticking a needle in. But I can put the needle in and, and feel exactly what's happening. And I can feel immediately if it's in the wrong place. And if it is, I won't push any further and cause any bruising or damage. I'll just pull it out and try again. Um, whereas, you know, the best nurse in the world can't feel what's going on in your arm. Um, so from, I learned to needle the minute I could when my fistula was matured. And yes, OK, the learning process is a bit painful because you tend to miss and you don't really know what you're doing and you are kind of making mistakes. But you can't really harm it either. You'll cause some bruising. And when you blow your fistula, which lots of people will be familiar with, it's basically where you've put the needle in in the wrong angle and it swells up and it looks awful, but it's not damaged long term. And actually, there are people who say when you blow it, it actually strengthens the wall of the fistula over time. So it's not a bad thing at all. It's just a massive bruise um, and a bit of a pain. But I now, um, no one can have technique better than me. No one else can feel what they're doing. And also, I know that. I know the direction it goes in and I know where it has its little kinks. And, you know, and I've learned over time, I've moved my needle sites because sometimes your fistula can move around. Um, and I would never expect a nurse to understand or have that knowledge about my anatomy. Um, so, yeah, I would have to be seriously, seriously unwell. Um, and I don't touch wood. I don't think that's ever happened. <laughs> that anyone has ever had to do it for me. <laughs> no, I really am. Um well into you know knowing your body your limitations learning how, what's best for you working with the medical team to work out what's best for you because at the end of the day like you said you're the one feeling it you know so yeah that absolutely makes sense so for somebody who's just been told that they have kidney disease and they're looking at different options in terms of dialysis or for somebody who's actually made that decision to say right I'm going to go for hemodialysis. What advice would you give to that person? Oh, this is a really good question. Um, I think firstly, it is absolutely fine to feel scared, nervous, worried. It's unfamiliar. It's not, it's not a normal everyday thing. Absolutely. Um, and you are also dealing with a, you know, a devastating diagnosis, especially if you're new to dialysis or new to kidney failure. Um, anything you feel is valid, whether that's angry, depressed, frustrated, like the world's falling down around your ears. And, and mental health is a massive part of this. And finally, we are now in our community starting to, I think, acknowledge the mental health impact of kidney failure and understand that people really do need support with their mental health. And it's, we're not there yet. We know that we need more widespread, more widely accessible support, but at least we're talking about it and people are, you know, aware now that having kidney disease and going into kidney failure is life changing. Um, so anything you feel is totally valid. And the biggest thing is, is go talk to people in that sense. So as you are coping with these decisions and thinking about how you want to kind of rebuild your life, 
with kidney failure um you know whether that's talking to friends family other patients and you know things like your podcast are brilliant because patients who are searching for stuff online might hopefully come across this and start to hear real stories and you know think okay I have a future so I think it's important to acknowledge your feelings however my kind of success with this has been because I am relentlessly positive now if that's easy to say and hard to do because you can't just switch on the positivity button I get that and I'm not one of these like oh it's like you know be positive yay happy happy like no that's that's this is really hard stuff I won't swear but there are some quite choice words we could use to describe what this can be like yes um however you do have to take a really proactive stance to be like I'm going to make the best of this and I'm going to push and fight for what I think I want and need obviously sometimes you don't even know what you want or need because it's all new how do we know how do you know what you don't know so asking questions and again asking other patients because oftentimes you'll be given information in a clinic say for example but you know they're pushed for time you can't necessarily cover everything you might want to in an appointment and again doctors and nurses are wonderful but they haven't lived through it and they haven't done it themselves so even if you said oh which dialysis do you think is best they've not done dialysis so always seek out patients and ask the questions and if there's a question in your mind it's valid there's no such thing as a stupid question but try I think for dialysis in particular think about what you want out of your life first so whether that's family work you want to be fit you want to keep up your hobbies um look at your life first and then try and work out what treatment will best fit around enabling you to live your life because my I suppose my mantra, if you like, is we do dialysis to live. We don't live to do dialysis. So if you are doing a dialysis that doesn't facilitate you doing any of the stuff that you love doing in your life, then you really need to try and change that if possible. Um, And that's where, as I've I've highlighted, the benefits of home, because I can then change my dialysis around all the time and make sure I live life first and, and fit the treatment in around that. And that should be people's goal. I'm not saying you'll get it right first time. I think anyone starting starting dialysis you've got to allow six months at least where you've just got to go with the flow don't expect it to be perfect overnight listen to your body work with the hospital be adaptable try not to give up you know it can be frustrating you can kind of think oh you know I just I'm not feeling right or this is really annoying me and rather than just thinking oh I can't cope and I'm going to give up okay something needs to change and what is that and work through it so I always take a real problem solving approach to all of this um And I always assume that I'm going to get the best outcome. So I never focus on negatives. I never focus on the what ifs and the oh God and the future. I try to live entirely in the moment I'm dealing with today. Um, I've got plans for tomorrow. I've always got things to look forward to. And the dialysis is just going to get me there Um, rather than, you know, thinking, oh, my God, you know, is it going to go wrong? And am I going to cope? That's the mental health side of it, right? Because if you're struggling with mental health, it can be really hard to then take that attitude. And if you are struggling with your mental health, please, please ask for help with it. Um, You know, Kidney Care UK, for example, offer advocacy offices and counsellors, which is available to anybody who who wants it, patients to ring up and ask for support. And um, there are renal psychologists based in some of the dialysis centres and the renal units. They're not everywhere, so it depends where you are. But do speak to your doctor and nurse team about that too, because I do feel like if you don't have a foundation where you feel that you are generally coping, it can be quite difficult to then take on all the other stuff. But if you don't give it a go, you're never going to be maximizing your own potential in that way. Um, And then, yeah, in terms of learning the machine, learning to needle, 
all of that stuff looks way more complicated than it actually is. Um, I say if you drive a car, you can you can manage a dialysis machine. Even if you don't drive a car, you could probably still manage a dialysis <laughs> machine. Um, and and needling, don't overthink it. Just give it a go because you'll find it's not as difficult as it might look. It's not as painful as it looks. Um, and you'll be far less painful if you're doing it yourself versus having somebody else do it to you. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think if there's things you really want to do with your life, just just continue to plan as if you're just going to go and do them and don't overthink it too much. Because if you're creative and flexible about stuff, there's an awful lot that you can achieve that you may not think is possible. That is awesome advice. <laughs> awesome advice. Thank you so much. I love what you said about being relentlessly positive. I believe in that so much. I mean, my expression, as you know, is I choose to live. And it's making that decision every single day, you know, to make the best of your situation. And I really believe that the mind is so powerful. And it's the difference between living and dying, you know, within yourself, emotionally. Um, So I really love that. Relentlessly positive. I love that. I would say, um, and I think social media, obviously, you know, we're also connected now. Um, there is a brand of maybe what I would call toxic positivity, which is just like, just be positive and ignore everything else. And yeah, like, that's not, like that's that. not realistic. And that's why, I, you know, that's why I say you need to, we need to think about mental health and we need to yes. allow all the emotions that come out and, and give them, give those emotions respect and space and seek support. However, it, for me, it is also a choice. Like you say, it is a choice to try and be as positive as possible. And some days it's harder than others. And some, it's fine if there's the odd day where you just think, you know what, today I will be in my bubble at home and I will not speak to people. <laughs> Although I, I don't have those days. And I'm not just saying that like, oh, look at me. But I genuinely don't have those days. And I think I've actually got in a habit of positivity because it's just, that's my natural now, it's the stance I take. And it's remarkable. Again, I think the younger, the community of us who've been kidney patients from a young age we use humour a lot to deal with some really quite difficult stuff. Um, really dark humour sometimes where people who don't understand are like, why are you joking about that? That's not funny. But it is a coping mechanism. I don't know if it's a healthy one or not, but it's a mechanism that we use and that we kind of, you know, it, and finding peers who get it, you know, other patients, you don't have to explain to them. I'm having a bad day. They're like, yeah, I get it. No yeah. more words needed. What do you need? A hug? space a phone call nice food nothing at all like you don't have to go oh because my machine and this and that made me feel like that this you know it's a great shortcut to fantastic support from those around you um but then also there's plenty of space for your non-kidney friends who you know will support you in other ways and and build build a great network of love around you i think is probably going to help a lot of people who will just be there when you need them that is awesome absolutely awesome are there any myths about kidney disease that you'd like to debunk? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a few of the really odd ones that people think you've developed it because you were alcoholic or something yeah. like that, like alcoholism or you took drugs or you did something to abuse your body in some way, which clearly not. Um, I think the there's an awful... And this is not just kidney disease. You know, there's a whole load of conditions and disabilities that because they're hidden... People think, oh, you look fine. You look great. And um, I don't mind people saying that because I'm like, yeah, I look great. But <laughs> I feel great. But you know what? It, you can have people like us who look absolutely fine, but are almost at death's door or dealing with a horrendous set of symptoms or being given some awful news, you know, all the rest of it. And 
So, and this ties into all things really just, you know, be careful and kind to everyone because you don't know what they're going through. And I mean, I could be, if I didn't do my dialysis, I'm probably what, five or six days away from dying. And I know that, and I'm, I've, I've come to terms with that. But if you look at a picture of me, you wouldn't think, oh, she's five days away. You know, she's completely reliant on a machine that basically keeps her alive. Um, so, so just that understanding and dialysis for a lot of people, um, because I do so much, I can hand on heart say it makes me feel really good. However, for most people, thinking that dialysis is a, is a cure or, you know, you go in for your dialysis and then you feel fine. It's like a little top up or like a spa treatment or something. And I know the general public's perception is dialysis is a treatment that just then means you're absolutely fine and you can carry on as normal. That is not the majority's experience of dialysis. Um, and certainly if you do more dialysis than the minimum, you will get closer to that. And I definitely have that experience. But for most people, it is keeping them going. It is not keeping them feeling fabulous. So for people to understand when someone's on dialysis, it's for life. There is it's not a course of treatment that you have and then you recover. Um, it's for life until you either hopefully might get a transplant if you're lucky. And even that's not a treatment. That's not a cure. That is just another form of treatment with its own challenges. Um, and that, you know, some people reach the point where they don't wish to carry on with dialysis anymore and they have to make some very difficult decisions in that sense. And so really general public understanding of the whole world of kidney disease is still quite low, I feel. Um, so there's work to be done to just raise public awareness and also to look after your kidneys. So, you know, drink loads of water, manage your blood pressure, keep fit, all that good stuff. Um, and being aware of risk factors like diabetes and high blood pressure and trying to manage those as best you can. Um, yeah, so some myths and some good things to do. <laughs> Definitely. You touched on about the general public and as we all know, as all kidney warriors know, very few people that I meet know anything about kidney disease. Like if you were to say cancer, everyone knows about cancer. If you were to say diabetes, everyone knows, yeah, that, you know, cutting down on sugar and different things. But when it comes to kidney disease, there's definitely a lack of education out there. So again, let's take a chunk out of that and say, you know, what would you like to put out there in terms of awareness and education for anybody who's listening to the podcast who isn't a kidney warrior, but maybe a family member or a friend of theirs? What would you like to say to them in terms of how they can support that family member or loved one or friend or just something they need to know? Um, I think it's tough to get this right. So I think actually, before I go on to what they could do, as patients, I think we, we need to be patient with those around us and give them a chance to understand. So don't expect them to be psychic. Um, you've got to explain how you're feeling and what's going on, but then you hope that they will listen and empathise. I know it's not always that simple, but I hope most people would like to be educated and it's good to share with them how you're feeling as a patient. But I think it's helping that person understand that they can't control everything that's going on. And I think a lot of it comes down to things like energy um, and, and being tired and fatigued. So understand that one of the biggest symptoms of kidney disease is fatigue. Um, and it's not just I'm a bit tired. I've had a busy weekend. It's like fatigue that you cannot crawl out of. So I say a lot of the time we are existing on mental energy, not physical energy. Maybe again, for yes. me, I don't feel like that because I'm so well. I am doing so well on the dialysis idea. Maybe that's just luck. I don't know. But for many of us, the fatigue is always there. It doesn't go away however much you sleep and people might need to sleep a lot. So trying not to make them feel any worse than they already do if they have to change plans that have been made or 
maybe feel like that because they often feel like they'll be letting you down if they're like oh, we're gonna go out for the day and then on that day they just feel dreadful it's not their fault so understanding those hidden aspects that are really really pervasive and always there um I think people also don't want to be wrapped up in cotton wool which is a hard one so they want you to be empathetic of their situation but they don't want you to treat them differently and like yeah. like they're a sick person so and the best thing ever that people like friends of mine now automatically will do is you know we want to go on a weekend away the first question they ask is what about maddie's dialysis and not in a oh poor maddie can't come but of course maddie's going to come but we just need to think about where we're going what's the timing can she get to treatment and i've sort of i suppose educated my friends along the way and i've made sure that they know i don't want anything special i don't want sympathy i don't want anyone to be like oh poor you and pat you on the head which nobody does but I also might sometimes need them to be flexible and just understand that I am juggling. So I might turn up late. I might leave early. I might make my own plan within the bigger plan. And that's cool. Just let me get on with it. Um, rather than thinking, oh, we just can't do that thing because you can't come. I'm like, well, I'll come, but I'll come for a day, not a night. Like, it's not a big deal. So just that getting your family and friends to be really flexible and encourage the thing you want to do rather than worrying about all the reasons why you maybe can't or shouldn't do it. Sometimes I think family in particular put more barriers up around the patient because they're worried and they want to protect them and look after them and care for them. And it comes from a place of love, but it can actually be restrictive and limiting to that patient's life. And if the patient, I say the patient, if the person says, I want to go and do this and it's fine, just respect that and support them and don't try and tell them how they might feel or what they should do. Um, this applies at all ages, but I do know a lot of younger patients sometimes have to work quite hard with their parents and family around them to get to, to, to allow them to have some freedom and independence. And, and they need that. You've got to let people live their lives. This isn't going to go away. You're always going to be a kidney patient. So you've got to set out and do what you can um, and not self-impose those sort of limitations. And then for me, I think also just practical help. Like, you know, they might, it might be really helpful if you could pop out and get medication for them or maybe stay in to receive their dialysis delivery if they want to be out and it's coming on a certain day just being that sort of hands-on practical friend you know because a lot of us are running our lives our families our jobs and we're running our dialysis on top of that like it's a lot to juggle so any sort of practical help and support is always welcome if asked for but don't try and impose it and I'm terrible at asking for help anyway so then people are like you sure you don't need help I'm like I'm fine but I do know that if I did ask them, they would absolutely be there. Um, and, and, you know, things, the bigger things around, you know, <laughs> people who, um, family members signing up, you know, living donors and things like that. Organ donation is such a, you know, there's such an amazing group of people out there who, who are willing to donate kidneys, whether that's directly to someone or to the pool. You know, if you want to do something really dramatic and really incredible and, and you know, very safe and a very you know well you know well supported approach to to being an amazing human being look into that (laughs) because ultimately we want to help people live their lives and be as healthy as possible as well amazing thank you for that so have you got a final word for the listeners i have so many words i talk so much (laughs) (laughs) um i actually think for all of us so people who are in our community there's a bunch of stuff we need to do to raise public awareness absolutely but what's most important to me is my fellow patients and peers who go through this we're all going through this together and I think we all owe it to each other to be honest and open share what we're going through 
speak to each other be really good friends I've, I've met amazing friends through this community and I you know years ago I was very resistant to that I was like I'm not a kidney patient I went no I'm, I'm on dialysis but I'm not talking to other patients <laughs> which is probably just my teenage self being stroppy but um like let's just support each other <laughs> because no one will understand it better than we will um and, and just always be you know be aware that that kind word to another patient or that little message on Facebook when someone's posted that they're struggling or just sharing something you found out that's worked really well. Like, oh, I did this in my, you know, I found this great box for my medication. Or there's an app that really helped me do that. You know, simple stuff, not medical advice, but just stuff that helps you live a little bit more easily. That is invaluable. Um, and, and never underestimate the impact you might have had on another person's life just by sharing something that you, you know, or just the empathy of like, you know what, I've been there. And it's tough, but you will, you will get through it. Thank you. So my final question is, where can the listeners find you online? <laughs> um, <laughs> Queen of Dialysis. Uh, yeah, so I am on Twitter and Instagram as Queen of Dialysis. And I also have a couple of TED Talks about long-term life on dialysis, which are on YouTube. But again, if you search for Queen of Dialysis on YouTube, those will come up too. Um, and I try to, you know, I, I try to, um, respond as much as I can to direct messages and things like that I, I get a lot of them so I always have to apologize to people that I'm not ignoring them if I don't respond um, but yeah I, I try to be as active as I can on social media and I encourage others to do the same because you never know who will search for you and find you and you will just switch a light bulb in their mind because of a tweet that you did or a video that you've recorded or a podcast like this one um, people are finding it and are listening and are learning so it's really good to always do that if you're comfortable with it and you've got something to say then go and say it thank you thank you so much for sharing your story with me for sharing so much amazing advice and sharing that relentless positivity I feel more positive just by seeing that smile on your face and just by <laughs> having this conversation I've learned so much thank you so much for sharing not at all my pleasure and thank you for having me Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.